As we begin today, I want to give a shout out to our real life campuses. There are two of them in Austin, in the Austin area, and one of them in Corpus Christi. Will you welcome them to our service today? I had opportunity to be in Corpus not long ago and be there with Pastor Greg, who's the lead pastor there at our Corpus Christi campus, and meet that great staff. What a great group of folks, and they're doing a super job in Corpus Christi, reaching that area for Christ. And then we had the opportunity to speak, actually, at the Bowie campus in Austin. Just such a great group of folks, uh, just uh, have got great hearts. And so we're so thrilled to be in this partnership with them. And together, we're studying the book of Proverbs this summer. Now, I just want to do a little survey here in just a moment. Just don't raise your hand yet, but have you ever made a dumb decision? Have you, have you ever made a dumb decision about relationships, about finances, about how you commit your time? Anybody, in fact, I want to just do this uh, survey at all of our campuses in the Metroplex, all there in Austin and down in Corpus Christi. Raise your hand if you would, if you've ever made a dumb decision. Just hold it up so that everybody can see. Remember, next week we're going to be talking about lying, so I want to make... Okay. So the, the Proverbs is for us. Uh, are you familiar with the series of book called For Dummies? Are you familiar with that? Actually, it's a great enterprise. They have over 1,800 titles. I actually have this one called iPhone for Dummies. And then I discovered this week, though, there's another one called iPhones for Seniors for Dummies. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think I'm offended by that. Now, if it's just that that particular version is in large print, I'm okay with that, all right? But if it's like they explain everything twice for those of us who are over 60 to get it, I'm, I'm deeply offended, all right? But there are all kinds of them. There's dummies, uh, uh, knitting for dummies. There's auto repair and maintenance for dummies. There's even one called divorce for dummies, all right? And then there's another one called marriage for dummies. I'm thinking if you had read that one, you wouldn't need the other one, maybe. I don't know. But uh, we, we all know what it's like to, to, to be dumb in some area of life. In fact, I would say this is Proverbs is... Life for dummies, it really is. Because if we'll pay attention, and I think one of the reasons that Proverbs speaks to us is because the, the Proverbs themselves are brief. Most of the Proverbs are less than 25 words. They get to the point, they get to the heart of the matter, and I think that's why the franchise for dummies uh, has been so popular, because it distills it down to the essentials. It, it's brief, it's to the point. It talks about that 20% that if you get right, creates 80% of your results. And so we're going to discover that as we continue this summer to walk through the book of Proverbs. And I hope you've been walking, really walking through it with us. I hope you've been reading with us. We've been encouraging you throughout the summer to read a chapter of Proverbs each day. And what we're doing is we're having that correspond. So for example, if it's July the 5th, uh, we're reading the fifth chapter of Proverbs, if it's July 6th, and, and we're going to be able to read through Proverbs several times, those 31 chapters, by just corresponding with the day of the month. Now, if you're having trouble remembering to stay in it, we want to help you. If you can, uh, you can actually take your uh, smartphone, not your dummy phone, but your smartphone, and you can text the word wisdom to 95577. And what we'll do is we'll send you an actual verse from a chapter of Proverbs every day, and then we'll remind you what day of the month it is and what chapter we're reading together. Today, though, we're going to study the chapter, which is chapter 3. And out of chapter 3 comes probably the most popular verse in all of Proverbs, which is Proverbs 
3, 5, and 6. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open your Bible. Maybe there's one that you picked up on the way in, or uh, you will just follow along on the screen or on, uh, out of your worship guide. It's printed somewhere there in your worship guide. Let's look, if you will, in Proverbs, the third chapter, beginning verse 5. We're actually going to read through verse 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bone. Now what you're going to find when you look at the Proverbs, you're going to find what they call couplets. And this is a, this is a form of literature. And, and what it is, it's a couple of lines and, and it comes across in, in at least four different ways. And I want us to look at our text today and see some examples of that. And you're going to see this repeated over and over again as, you, as we read through the Proverbs this summer. First of all, there's a contrast. Look at verse 5, if you will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then in contrast, the second line says, and do not lean on your own understanding. And you're going to see this in a lot of the Proverbs. It's going to state one way, and then it's going to state the exact opposite so we understand what the proverb is telling us to do in contrast with what it's telling us not to do. You're also going to find in their consequences. Look at verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what's going to happen if you acknowledge him in all your ways? He will make your paths straight. And so it's not the contrast, but rather it's the consequence of either keeping this uh, proverb or this uh, exhortation or uh, heeding a warning, here's the consequence. And then another thing you're going to find in some of those little couplets is you're going to find an explanation. Look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Well, what does that mean to not be wise in your own eyes? It's instead to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so there's actually an explanation of how we implement the proverb that's being shared with us. And then finally, you're going to find a simple repetition. Look in verse 8. It will be healing to your body, or another way of saying that same thing, a refreshment to your bone. And so it's going to use contrast. It's going to use explanation. It's going to use repetition. And it's going to use consequences to help us to learn these simple truths. Now, what I want to do now is turn to verse 13 and 14 of that same chapter. Because in, in verse 13 and 14, we're going to find a bold declaration. Look, if you will, there. In uh, Proverbs, the, thir the 13th chapter, or third chapter, verse 13 and 14, it says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain than fine gold. That's a pretty bold statement. The statement is that those who uh, find wisdom and those who gain understanding will be blessed, and that blessing will be more than the worth of gold and the worth of silver. How can that possibly be true? That in this, God's word, that you would read a proverb, and that proverb would give you wisdom, and that wisdom added to understanding would be more valuable than gold or silver. Let's begin with the word there, blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? That's a word that's used a lot in both the Old and the New Testament. And the concept is the same, although the Old Testament word is a Hebrew word, the New Testament word obviously is a Greek word, it's the same concept. That word blessed, let me just share with you one place that it's used in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Abraham and Sarah desired greatly to have children, but that Sarah was barren. 
And she was up into age, past childbearing age, and the Bible says that God blessed her womb. And the next thing we're getting is a birth announcement, all right? That's what it means for God to bless something. Or move to the New Testament. And you, again, you see it many times in the New Testament, but one of my favorite places is when Jesus is teaching on the side of uh, the mountain and he's talking about, about being blessed. It's what we call the Beatitudes. And as he comes to the conclusion of that, the disciples come to him and they say, well, there's a lot of people who are hungry here and, and, and we don't have enough resources to provide for their hunger. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they found this one little lunch, and you know the story, a little boy came with some loaves and, uh, of bread and some fish, hardly enough to feed him. And the Bible then says this, it says that Jesus put his hand on that sack lunch and he blessed it. And after he blessed it, they were able to start passing out food and they fed all 5,000 men plus women and children and had 12 baskets left over. Do you get the concept of what happens when God blesses something? Let me ask you today, you need God to bless anything in your life. Do you need God to bless your parenting? Do you need God to bless your marriage? Do you need God to bless your finances? Do you need God to bless your health? What is it that you need God to bless? It says here in chapter, verse 13 of chapter 3 that blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gains knowledge. Now, watch for the nuance there. He says that blessed is the one who finds wisdom, but also who gains understanding. There's a verse that I've shared with you before. Many of you will be familiar with it. It's one of my favorite verses. It comes out of Colossians 1, 9, and 10. And in that verse, Paul says, I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual understanding so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in due season, and then increasing in the knowledge of God. And what you have is you have a circle where we get information. But more than just information, that we come to understand it, or another way to say is we come to apply it, what does that information out of God's Word have to do with my life in the stage that I am, in the relationships with the challenges that I have? And then move from that move from information to application, and then move from that to obedience, where we obey what it says. And then the Bible says that what's gonna happen is that we're gonna get fruit, we're gonna get results. And that the result of that is that we want to increase in our knowledge of God's will. I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual understanding, so you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you might bear good fruit in the right season and increase in the knowledge of God. Friends, that's what the Bible's talking about when it says a man is blessed if he finds wisdom and then gains understanding. See, to gain understanding is to do more than just listen to God's word. It's to apply it to your life and to do it in your life and then come to understand that God's way is the best way. That's understanding. It's one thing to have wisdom. It's another thing to have understanding. And, and see, I think that's a real problem. Some of you are not reading Proverbs with us this summer because you're not really interested in God's word. You'll read the newspaper that's fairly worthless, all that information tomorrow, but you won't read God's eternal word. And part of the reason you're not hungry for more information from God's word is because you've got all the information you think you need about God's word. You think you know what's in there because you've heard it, but you've never applied it to your specific life. You certainly have not obeyed it and tested it. And you've not seen the miraculous results, which is counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, 
God's word really does work. It is the blessed way. And that's why you're not hungry for more. And, and I, here's what I believe too. I believe there's a sense in which God's not going to show you any more of his revealed will until you do something about God's will you already know. I have people come to me all the time and say, well, there are parts of the Bible that I don't understand. Well, guess what? There are parts of the Bible I don't understand. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me are the parts that I understand. That's what's given me a fit. And you already know enough that you're not doing that I wonder if God's going to share with us anymore until we step into the light that we already have. That's what it says here in verse 13. It said, blessed is the man or the woman or the student who finds wisdom, who gains through a process of application and obedience, understanding. Blessed are those people. Now, what is that blessing? That blessing, according to verse 14, is that it is greater than silver and greater than gold. What could possibly be greater than Fort Knox? I mean, really? Are, are you being serious today, Steve? Really? Well, there are four things according to chapter 3. And I know many of you know uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. But have you read the rest of the chapter? Because in the rest of the chapter, he tells four benefits of finding wisdom and gaining understanding. They are, first of all, health. Second of all, they are prosperity. Third, it is peace. And fourth, it is honored. Let's look at all four of those very, very quickly. First of all, he says that there is health that comes when we find wisdom and gain understanding. Look, if you will, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, if you have a Bible. If not, just follow along on the screen. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and year of life and peace will be added to you. It says the benefit is you're going to live longer. Now, let me just quickly say that Proverbs are a general rule. They're a general truth. And here's what the Bible's saying here. It's not saying that if you have wisdom that you'll never get cancer. It's not saying that. It's not saying that if you, if you have wisdom that you're not going to be in a car wreck. It's not saying that. It says that as a general rule, if you'll follow what the Word of God says and what wisdom is given to you, you're going to have less risk in your life. You're going to put yourself in less dangerous situations. Uh, another verse that talks about that is verse 8. In verse 8, it says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. You remember in the Psalms when David is talking about after his sin with Bathsheba? He talks about the, the physical effects that his sin had on him. When he tried to hide his sin, he said, my bones ached within me. We now know scientifically that when you harbor resentment or anger or when you harbor guilt, that it actually affects the physical body. Wisdom to walk in the way of the Lord brings health. And then look at 16, the first part of 16, it says, it, it personifies wisdom as a woman and it says, long life is in her right hand. The, the biblical principle here, the proverb that's being shared with us is that you have a longer and a healthier life if you find wisdom, if you gain understanding. What about prosperity? Look in verse nine and 10. I love this verse. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Bible says that if you'll do what the scripture says about finances, 
that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And, and there's a lot of wisdom in the Proverbs about finances. And right here it says that if you give of the Lord from your first fruits, that that's the beginning. Now, please understand what it's not saying. It's not here teaching a prosperity gospel. You, you can't read the rest of the Bible and come up with that conclusion. It's not saying if you wanna be rich, and spend it all on yourself, then give a little bit to God and he'll pour it back into you. It's not saying that. Now here's what it does say in Malachi. The Malachi says that whatever measuring spoon that you use to be generous to others, God will use that same measuring spoon to pour blessings into your life. It doesn't mention that they're financial blessings, although they could be. Uh, it, it might be that he pours friends into your life with the same measuring spoon that you use to, to, to give to others. It may be that he gives you a great church. It may mean that he gives you a significant ministry. It may mean he gives you health. God wants to bless us in a lot of ways, but don't get into this Americanized heresy that says, if you want to get rich, give money to God. Here's what I believe that it is saying. It's saying that if you'll give of the first fruits of your produce, that there's a kind of intentionality that comes with the, the way you spend the rest of your money that's going to make sure you have plenty and that fact, you're going to have more than plenty. You're going to have enough that your vats are going to overflow so that you can share with other people. See, most of us do not know how to spell the word budget, all right? We pretty much spend our money emotionally. We spend it uh, at the bequest of someone else. You see, here's the truth. If you don't have a plan for your money, there are a lot of other people out there who have a plan for your money, all right? And they figured out they're spending billions of dollars to get tens of billions of dollars from us. And the reason that most of the people who are listening to me today at all of our campuses are about $14,000 in credit card debt, spending anywhere from 13 to 21% on interest to use somebody else's money to buy what they cannot afford is because we have no plan. And part of what I think the scripture is saying here is if we'll sit down and get intentional about where our money's going, if we'll give the first 10% to God, then somehow that other 90%, that, that very intention of how we spend the first of it will cause us to pay attention to the rest of it. By the way, if you want to have full barns, have a smaller barn, okay? <laughs> See, there's two ways to solve your financial problem. One is to bring in more money. The other is to let less go out, all right? And the Bible says when we, get it, when we work hard, and that's a, the Bible talks a lot about that in, in Proverbs, when we work hard and we manage our money well and we honor God with our wealth, the Bible says we're going to have plenty in our barn. And not only that, that we're going to have a kind of prosperity that's going to overflow into the life of others. Uh, 2 Corinthians, don't miss this. This may be worth the trip today. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 7 and 8, that talks about what we do with our prosperity. Verse seven says, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't miss verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for what? Selfishness? Consumption? No, for every good deed. Verse 11 says it again. He says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. God is enriching us so we can enrich others. There is a prosperity that comes by living a wise life, by following God's rules about life and finances and work. 
And it is that we are prospered so that we can be more generous and bless other people. It has never been about consuming more. And then that becomes a beautiful thing, doesn't it? That God gives us health and long life and God gives us prosperity, but prosperity for the right reason. And then he gives us peace. Look at verse two again. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will be added to you. Look at verse 17 and verse 17 talks again about the personification of wisdom as a woman. It says, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Then finally, look, look there, if you will, in verse 23 through 26. It says, then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Don't miss this. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked one when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. What does it mean to have, as the New Testament describes it, a peace that passes all understanding that guards your heart, how you feel, your emotions, and your mind, what you're always thinking about all the time? It's to walk in the way of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. What does it mean to make your path straight? It means he removes all the obstacles. It means that he makes it smoother. Now that's not to say that in this fallen world you're not going to have tribulation because the Bible says that we are going to have tribulation. But listen to me. If we are in the path of wisdom and we have tribulation... No matter what's coming against us, no matter who our enemies are, there's a peace because we know that there's a a form of protection. It doesn't mean God doesn't let bad things happen to us. It just means that God limits the damage they can do to us. And so even when enemies come, there's a peace. See, what he's saying here when he talks about this sweet sleep, he's saying that you can lay your head on the pillow at night and know that if you have enemies, it's because you're walking in the way of the Lord, and the Lord will handle those enemies for us. It's those enemies that we create when we step outside of God's will. It's those enemies that we retain because we refuse to forgive others as God has forgiven us. It's those enemies that keep us tossing and turning all night because we don't have any real promise of protection from those enemies or how they might affect us or our families. But when we walk in the path of wisdom, There is a peace that defies our circumstances and that's greater than any enemy that would come against us. And then notice the last benefit there that he talks about that's greater than silver and greater than gold and it is honor. Look at verse four. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Does that little phrase sound familiar to anybody? It was the same thing that was said about Jesus Christ as he went to the temple as a young man. And then it says he grew in favor with God and man. You're going to become more like Jesus in terms of people thinking well of you if you will walk in the way of wisdom. If you'll not only discover wisdom, but if you'll understand it by living in faith in it. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, it says, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. And then finally, verse 35 of that same chapter, the very last verse of chapter three, it says, the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Now, what is honor? Honor is not an award to be received. It is a legacy to leave. 
You see, the fact that someone would think well when they hear your name, that your name would have a great reputation, that you, people would honor you, is not about you having a plaque that you would hang on the wall, but rather it's a position of influence that you can lever, leverage for God's glory. There's been a lot that's been said recently about young people leaving the church. Kids have grown up in the Christian church going off to school and rejecting the faith of their parents. Now, there are exceptions to this, to be sure. But in many cases, it's not that those children are rejecting the faith of their parents. It's that they're rejecting the hypocrisy of their parents. Because, you see, they see their parents say something at church and say something completely at home. To live in public when they're trying to make a good showing and then to come behind the doors of their home and live a complete life and teenagers are walking away and young students are walking away and they said, I don't want any of that kind of inauthentic life. And they're not rejecting what's in the Bible. They're rejecting our parody of that. What happens when you walk in the way of wisdom? We're not talking perfection here, but when you do it God's way, and your kids are always watching and they're seeing mom and dad forgive because the Bible says forgive. And speak the truth in love because the Bible says to speak the truth in love. To be generous to those who can't return that generosity. And they're seeing that in their parents' life. And they're seeing the wealth that comes to their parents and the health that comes to their parents. And the peace that's in the life of their parents. And then comes honor. You know, our children are commanded to honor their parents. We make it a lot easy for them when we're honorable. We make it easy for them to keep that commandment. We make the path straight by walking the straight path that God has set for us. And we can influence our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our fellow students. Honor is a wonderful, wonderful ability to, to influence other people and to bless them because we've been blessed. Now, all of this, when you put together, it's obvious, isn't it, that it's, it's worth more than silver, it's worth more than gold. So how do we become uh, heirs of health and prosperity, as the Bible defines it, of peace and of honor, a good name, a good reputation? Well, verse 5 and 6, as we close, tells us, it tells us that if we'll trust in God with all of our heart, in contrast to leaning to our own understanding, I can't tell you the number of times when people over the years have come to my office shopping for the counselor who will tell them what they want to hear. And they'll say, well, what about this situation? What do you think I ought to do? Or tell me about this circumstance. What do you think I ought to do? And many times what I'll do, because it's not the first time somebody's come to ask me that question, I'll open up a well-marked Bible and I say, well, the Bible says right here in black and white that this is what you're supposed to do. And they'll say, well, what does it say in the other chapters? because I don't want to do that. And then I've ha even had people say, well, I know that that's what the Bible says. I mean, sometimes it's just hard to refute it so clear. But I'm going to do this instead. You are. Okay, well, that's fine. It's your choice. It's your life. But let's go ahead and declare what is obvious here. Why don't you just, before you leave, why don't you just shout it out, declare, I am smarter than God. Well, I'm not going to say that. Well, that's, that's what you're doing. The, the Bible says that God says this is the way of wisdom and you've decided to go to another path. You're gonna lean to your own understanding. You think you're an exception to the rule. So say it out loud. I am smarter than God. It sounds dumb when you say it out loud, doesn't it? 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he goes on there in verse 6, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways. You acknowledge him in your marriage. You acknowledge him in your parenting. You acknowledge him in your work life. You acknowledge him as a volunteer. You acknowledge him in your thought life. You acknowledge him in your physical body. You acknowledge him in your time and the way you talk and who you get angry at and how you express it and your jealousy and your forgiveness or lack thereof. You acknowledge him in your future. You acknowledge him in how you rest. You acknowledge him in your finance. Yes, all the above. Jesus is taking that little sack lunch of that little boy and he puts his hands on it and he blesses it. And then it feeds all those thousands of people. And then he and the disciples get in the boat, and Jesus is so tired, he goes down in the bottom of the boat, and he falls asleep. And while he's asleep, a great storm comes up. So much that the disciples think they're going to die. And they call upon Jesus, and he comes to the deck of that boat, and he stretches out his hand. And in a moment, the wind stops, and the waves are calm. And I want you to hear what it says in Matthew. It says they marveled. It says the disciples marveled, quote, that even the wind and the sea obeyed him. They just left the hillside. They knew fish and loaves obeyed him. But now, new information, the wind and the sea obeyed him. Have you learned to expand the categories of what God knows more about than you and I know about? The waves in the sea, even the waves in the sea, even our marriages, even our personal ethics, even what we read and we walk. He knows more about all of it than we do. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. And on that path, you will find a kind of health that you will not find on any other path. You will find a prosperity not given for you to consume, but for you to share with others. You will find a peace in spite of the circumstances that passes all understanding that will guard both your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And when life is over, they won't have to lie about you at your funeral because you'll have a name of honor and you'll leave a legacy that will inspire others that you love to follow the steps that you have taken by trusting him. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that has been preserved through the ages, tested through time, and has proven faithful again and again and again. Thank you for the unbelievable privilege that we get to hold in our hand and we get to read of the wisdom that when we find it and we follow through and we understand it by experience is greater than silver and greater than gold in Jesus name we pray amen